Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Dave Cunningham, serial founder and CEO of FinTech and RecTech firms, and now the chief commercial officer at Lextego, amongst many other things. I'm just finding out. Welcome to the show, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me, Theo. I'm I'm great. I know people can't see this, but I've got a copy of your book here in Ireland, and uh, delighted to to have it. I've been I haven't got through the whole thing, uh, but uh, I find it and your writings and Bradley, uh, you know, I really get a great sense of community from you. So thanks for what you've done to kind of keep community together over the last few years of craziness. Uh, well, online. thank you so much for the kind words. I still remember one of the first pictures we saw was actually of yours that you posted from Ireland. <laughs> and that always bring me smiles, like to see how, how and where the words end up. So appreciate that. So um, let's start with this. You have done quite a few things and I had actually no idea. And so I started prepping for the show and I'm bad of me because every time when we, you know, quote unquote chat with each other or exchange tweets, if you will, is always about FinTech, about innovation, or you know, one of one of beautiful writings from Lido and, and whatnot. I had no idea you had done a lot of other things and different things. Um, not just innovation, but more than that. So walk us through your adventure, if you will, and sure. how did you end up where you are? God, I don't even know where the hell I am, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I'm somewhere, but it's uh, it's going, <laughs> it's always evolving. Um, I suppose I started, um, I did uh, commerce or business in university at the same time as I opened a golf retail store. I was on a golf, uh, I was on the Irish golf team as a kid and um did a store with my brother and and was pretty successful um did it at the same time as university which was mainly just a, a bit of a play thing and hanging out a <laughs> bit of a pastime while i was running a business and uh, i sold my share of the golf store in 2005 and was going to go pro as a golfer trying to make it on the tour and uh, i went with my wife uh, who was a who is a yoga teacher to india and ended up doing more yoga than golf, to be honest, and realized I wasn't going to make it on the tour. And uh, but I was doing yoga with kind of the the Tiger Woods of yoga, uh, Patabi Joyce down in uh, in Mysore, in Ashtanga yoga. And uh, it was really good fun and really enjoyed it. And I just had always been running and kind of running things and uh, taking the opportunity to do yoga and really slow down properly um was difficult and hard and uh and rewarding and i ended up coming back to ireland with my wife and uh she was pregnant with our with our first child and helped her open a yoga studio and we did that uh we opened a number of yoga studios and taught a bunch of teachers over about um i suppose i've been teaching for like 15 years 17 years now and uh I was teaching full time to till about 2014 or so, and uh, then I went back into the real world of, of kind of business. I, I brought a solution for weight management to tackle obesity from the UK back to Ireland. Uh, with some some uh, some doctors asked me to do that, and um, at the, I was kind of getting into. Uh, getting into this thing, and I, I was asked to teach yoga at the Web Summit, and I. I 
came across tech really as a thing which was uh which was really interesting and a, an amazing community there and uh i like whoa this th tech thing is really cool so i got more and more into it helped set up a, an innovation a, a little small co-working space in my hometown got a bank to agree to sponsor it and then a week before we opened they said actually we don't have the money we told you we did so i, I ran a conference to uh to pay for this startup hub and uh i it was showcasing entrepreneurship and the more i got into the startup kind of scene i realized that uh the bible for startups was this lean startup book and uh so i wrote to eric reese and said hey can i bring your conferences to europe and shockingly he agreed and uh, i'm the only person to ever license the lean startup brand and i brought it to europe i ran a conference for a couple of years in in london at the heart of uh, fintech level 39 um which is an amazing fintech hub they sponsored it and i got to know a lot of the good fintech and regtech people and early stage kind of uh, blockchain people and uh, ended up running a a a I was asked to run a uh, reg tech business um, uh, that de dealt with consent and the management of data, uh, navigating PSD2 and GDPR and all these fun regulations. So I really got into data privacy then, and uh, and that kind of led me to various different things in uh, in fintech. But that's probably long enough of a, of an intro. Could go could go on. <laughs> Wow, that, that is actually loads of fun though. And, and that's people would say the rest is history. I don't think we had ever interviewed someone that was going to turn a pro in Gov and ended up teaching yoga and ended mm. up going in tech. That is quite a journey. And, yeah. and I love that because it just reinforces a lot of the ideas that we have is, you know, people can come from everywhere. They can mm. be doing different things. And we, you know, by chance, one way or another, we meet in the crossroad and voila, here we are, right? And and that's the beauty and the diversity of, of the ecosystem. We don't always have to come from banks. I know I don't, and I always tell mm. people that, and, um, and neither did you, but here we're mm. talking about FinTech and tech and innovation. And that's what I love. Um, the other thing I like, a lot is your writing. I know I told you that, and please do write more. And and for those of you who are listening, please do see like Dave's LinkedIn profile. Um, he has quite a few writings in there, and and it's a gem. And I like that. So one of the pieces you did a few years ago, you wrote about data and innovation. You asked something interesting, simple, but yet profound. Who can we trust? Who can we trust? Given the state of where we are within financial services, we have incumbent banks, we have fintechs and big techs, and all these other players vying to get a piece of the pie. Who can we trust when it comes to our data? And I want to ask you, Dave, how has your viewpoint changed from when you wrote the piece to now? And yeah. where do you think, what, what, if I were to ask you this today, mm. your trust with your data, what would you say? Ah, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's so it's so hard. Uh, I believed for a time that banks were in a position to be the enablers of um, of a digital identity of some place where we could consent to uh, granting permission to share our data for a particular purpose, for a particular use, uh, for a period of time. 
because they were the ones with the best um, KYC and, and they had identified people in a systematic manner. And I felt I was working on something called master consent uh, uh, with with um, with a payment uh, scheme who who may have master in their name and uh, they <laughs> we we were looking at 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 a, at a way that we could empower banks to stay relevant as a place where someone can live their data sharing lives um, and be that position of trust and it was a hard road it was a hard thing because uh, the more as soon as I had an NDA signed with a bank, I would realize how disastrous their whole data uh, situation was. I mean, one large bank had were paying more than 20 providers, more than a million year, a year, million pounds a year, just to try and cleanse their data, and they still had stuff. They still had data on uh, films are are that could only be read by things by machines which were in the IBM museum uh, you know they were there it was that it was that much of legacy and uh, so it was difficult to first of all banks were 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 happy enough to say okay well, I think there could be some opportunity here to be that that uh, that sent play that central role but uh, when it came to it it was just so difficult for them to to organize uh, and organize their data and there was so much fear around open banking slash PST2 and GDPR and and man managing data that that they just clammed up and didn't really go for it. But I I thought that I thought that a scheme like a like a card scheme who who have structures in place and rules by which people play, uh, I thought a co-op could emerge between various providers who who adhere to certain standards about identifying individuals and empowering those individuals to to share their data freely i still think there's a, a great opportunity there and i think what's been interesting over the last while with um with crypto and web3 and nfts and everything and it, there people are realizing oh maybe there's a way that we can we can allow people's identity to to be managed in a in a systematic way here and then they they wake up to the challenges of KYC and AML and and other things and say whoa this is this is incredibly diff difficult and uh, as soon as they go from the crypto world into the fiat world and regulators start knocking on the door and say hey uh, you're handling money here here's the list of rules and they say oh this is terrible i mean i can't believe we have to play by these antiquated rules and uh, you know, the, while it may be the least effective um, spend of money ever, that is, you know, AML stuff, and you know, we spend like 180 billion, and and we only we only obtain about one percent of the proceeds of financial crime. But without some sort of structure, it would be really, really bad. And and I think one of the other things is is that is that. So yeah, I think to answer your question. I think a it would be great if a co-op would emerge of of entities who would act in a certain way and be able to hold each other to account in order to enable people to to share data to manage how they interact with with digital services and with each other in a systematic way but it is very hard and uh, and there, there's a lot of work to go a lot of work to go with it you know I, I, so personally for me 
I, I, I acknowledge that I make trade-offs with my own data for convenience uh, and, and that. And I, I know you and I have talked before about different browsers like Brave and others. I think, I think I'm voting as much as I can with my feet to, to go with people who treat data in an ethical way and don't go, ha, don't have a business model that involves surveillance capitalism. I think that's kind of that's the best I can do at this point in time. I, I don't want to sound defeated. I know that there's a way forward, but it's it's not trivial to to do this. I, I agree. I, I think it's hard. And as much as we try to be cognizant of what we're doing and, and safeguard our actions, if you will, there's just so much data exhaust everywhere. I remember reading an article last year, perhaps there was a reporter that tried to live off grid as much as you know they can. And it's impossible almost, unless you go to some sort of island and you lock yourself in and grow your own food and whatnot. So, you know, I mean, here we, we are, but you know, I, I do agree that hopefully we will in the ecosystem emerged more responsible players that at least be transparent about what they're doing right don't don't secretly track what we do and uh, not say a word until they get busted just not mm. ideal yeah so, uh, one, day. I think one day yeah hopefully <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of i i caught you earlier saying talking about nft and crypto it reminds me of a lot that is going on nowadays. We talk a lot about cloud and AI and blockchain and DeFi and quantum and metaphors and God knows whatever is out there. Word salad of the day, mm -hmm. along with cool technology that we get so excited about because this is fun, it's interesting. Look at look at all the things that that it can do. It reminds me of little kits and seeing new gadgets and new toys and I admit, I, I am like that too. I get very excited when I see R2s. But sometimes mm -hmm. I do wonder though, um, you know, despite all of the excitement that we have, and like you said, in something that you wrote, are we forgetting where we are operating and what we're trying to do? Because we got so excited with the tech that is being presented to us. And my follow-up question, will that be if FinTechs will eventually become the big bad wolves? that they're trying to change. Because that was how FinTech originally started more than a decade ago is to change how the incumbent financial services industry was operating. And yet mm. here we are, we have seen plenty of startups, if you will, with questionable business models and practices. How mm -hmm. best can we make sure that we don't lose sight of how we started despite mm. all the cool tech we have? Yeah, I mean, I wonder it would be I wonder if that's why people are starting fintechs these days is it are, are have started is it is it to do good and to change legacy things or or is it just to reduce costs and make money and get a higher valuation I mean uh, I I I don't know if everybody has got that memo uh, you know the <laughs> that that it's about doing good and you mentioned Leda earlier and and reading her writings and and others and my own experience would would lend me to to think that actually uh and it it's 
it comes back to comes back to community and trust again. And I, I think in the olden days, if we watch George Bailey in that in that great movie, um, uh, the Christmas the great Christmas movie, where he's the he's the banker and uh, he, um, you know is, is trying to build community to get there and and be the heart of the community. I think. I think banks started as the place where you trusted and you could hold they'd hold the deeds of your house let's say and they would they would be the custodians of of important things for you and I think that I didn't realize and and I wrote that article when I learned things that were that I was um oblivious to in the past and you know I was working on a project using the fanciest of technology in my view um so it's privacy enhancing technology get ready for get ready for all sorts of acronyms here so it was using um <laughs> it was using um multi-party computation uh, and um and zero knowledge proof to develop a uh, a risk framework or our risk framework for anti-money laundering so um so ZKP, secure multi-party computation, SMPC for AML. I mean, how many more of these kind of things uh, should I should I get in there? It's a bit crazy. But what it was really was the the re what I realized was when we're working with the FCA and I, I collaborated with Lex Tago in this uh, in this uh, initiative, and that's how I met them. But I didn't realize that we're only detecting one percent uh, of the proceeds of financial crime. So essentially we're we might talk about aml and kyc but look what is what are we what is that doing by allowing people to move money who are criminals let's say that's funding the worst of humanity that's that's funding human trafficking um modern day slavery um sexual exploitation of children and 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 adults uh, on a global level and us stopping that type of behavior and doing better than one percent effectiveness is something worth while and it's something worth doing and as bad as it is in its current system there has to be something uh, um there has to be something better and as much as i i, I mean look i'm a non-exec director of a crypto exchange who are who are really trying hard in this space but uh, but i see other people in the crypto space giving out about kyc and aml and I'm like, stop giving out about it. Come up with something better, or go and raise the bar to do something even even uh, more unique or, or more innovative uh, to make this better. Because we need to know who's moving money, and we need to know who's exchanging value. Because even with the things we have in place, we're still not doing a great job. So stop complaining, Web three and crypto and everything, and start just doing stuff to make it better. I think it was good though. Just, just, just start doing stuff to make it better. Um, I think you're <laughs> yeah. gonna have a lot of friends after this one, Dave. <laughs> but I do, I do agree with you, right? I, and I think, it, unfortunately, it almost feels like it's the same thing over and over again. It's almost like deja vu. We hear people saying what they don't like because it's easy to throw stones at things yeah. you do not like, but it's much harder to come up with a solution. So. 
all right, wonderful. We hear you say you don't like X. What are mm. you doing to change it, right? What can mm-hmm. you do to change it? And mm-hmm. change it must, and change we will, especially with fintech. There are so many moving parts, but yet, despite all that, I, I still do believe that there are enough people who are mm-hmm. trying to do good. There are enough people who mm-hmm. are trying to make a difference. And so, in light of that, last year you said in one of my favorite shows, fintech talents, and you wrote shortly after the leaders creating platforms that facilitate the movement of money will not be bankers. They will be community leaders. And I see a little bit of that, especially in the United States in the last year and a half. And we've brought a few of those to the show. We talk about them starting FinTech, doing something different, targeting immigrant communities, looking at financial inclusion in Southeast Asia, for example, using technology to do good, bringing in communities of people that have unique needs and challenges that are not being well served right now by incumbent Mm. industry. So tell us a little bit more about your idea on on behind what you said about community leaders um, Mm. that will be helping us doing better and helping us addressing the needs better. What do you see, where do you see the industry heading in the next few years if you have a crystal ball? Yeah, well, you know, I think I, I, around 2015, 16, you know, when I saw, Anne Bowden. So Anne Bowden spoke at my Lean Startup Conference four weeks after she launched Starling in the in the App Store. Uh, you know, Tom from Monzo was 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 kicking ass. Had just ra- raised a million in fifty seven seconds or fifty six seconds on on a crowdfunding platform in two thousand sixteen when I was hosting my first conference. And it was like these are the rock stars of uh, of fintech, and they're they're running challenger banks. And I and I looked at doing my own challenger bank here in Ireland. Went quite a way, quite a way down the road uh, with that as well. And and I thought, okay, the way to the way to serve people is to be a fintech challenger bank. And what I'm seeing now is less of that and more um, more people like who you've had on the show, Nina Mahanti, who are building technology to empower uh, empower credit within communities to be systemized at scale. who 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 operate off uh, offline, let's say, uh, but but who, who who her work can br- can bring to life online and at greater scale are people like uh, um, money remittance businesses uh, enabling better value between Africa and the rest of the world when people want to send money home to their to their to their family and friends, and a lot of these a lot of these um uh, organizations are, are and and just throw in another couple of examples um you know the people who my children follow online for example they are doing commerce at a rate that is absolutely phenomenal and they're 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 needing to embed finance and financial services within their platforms whether it's on youtube or or on their website or elsewhere um it's it's incredible and those even we've seen the rise of nfts now and people curating communities around them and then they're moving money so i think that that the my 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 hypothesis is that people will resonate and 
group around a cause or values or um, a value system or how they spend their lives and within that ecosystem money will have to be moved and the rise of embedded finance which is you know supposed to be 240 odd billion by 2025 and go to 7 trillion in 2035 it's it's going to be people moving money at the point of need without really thinking about it being fintech or without it being payments it just happens uh, and and i think that those leaders curating communities are going to be the ones who will really thrive whether that's in a in a in e-commerce or on influencer platform or social media or this metaverse or whatever it might be but it's it's people responding to people and those communities growing and then money moving within that that's where i think it'll happen because i don't see and i saw all the vendors at at fintech talents and i saw see it at money 2020 and all these other events and i don't see a lot of people starting new challenger banks at the moment you know i think anybody who's moving into into our world of what we think is our world of financial services are moving a lot into crypto and a lot into curating communities and then money just happens to be adjacent to that that's that's what i'm what i'm seeing all the buzz that i saw in conferences like mine in 2016 17 is is it's not quite there in the fintech space at the moment yes we can't travel as much but it seems like all the energy has been sucked out of the room by by crypto and new new embedded finance uh, solutions reminds me of a saying that money is just an enabler it helps you get to where you need to be and so where we need to be is be where people need you right mm. and and we mm. see right. we see more of that in uh, for example in in what the HNR block which is a company that does a lot of taxes for people in the, in the US that's yeah. where they they're heading towards we see mm. similar movement by Walmart right serving mm -hmm. the people who are typically underserved be it their employees or be it customers that visit them so we are seeing mm. that movement that you're just saying instead of asking people to think about your product people don't go to the bank to say I want to open a checking account. People go to the bank, as Paolo would say, because they have something they need to do. Mm -hmm. And you're just an enabler in the middle to help them get to where they want, be it buying a new house or be it, you know, buying a new car or be it saving for their kids. So let's let let the hope be that there will be more community leaders who will recognize mm -hmm. the need of consumers and small business and entrepreneurs around us and mm. help them get to where they need to be because that's where the future is. Mm. So speaking of communities, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about helping your local community starting up, bringing together entrepreneurs um, and whatnot. And it brings me to something else that we all know to be very mm. true. Big cities suck up a lot of that energy. They suck up a lot of the money, the talent, mm -hmm and what have you, but we can actually have talents everywhere. It doesn't have to be in the big hubs of San Francisco, New York, Boston, or London. Mm -hmm. It can be anywhere. It can be in our backyard. The trick is to find them and give them the resources they need and nurture them 
and help them bring their ideas to life. What advice would you give to smaller cities and communities, since you've done that before, for them to be part of that eco ecosystem of innovation, of new ideas, of startups? Hmm. The um, around 2014, 15, we, myself and some friends, I suppose just by way of context, I live in Galway on the west coast of Ireland. You could call it a, a city, but really it's about 70,000 people. So it's a small town for anybody else, but we think it's a city. And uh, we've got a university here and we're top four. We're number four in the world in terms of medical device hubs. So like 75% of the world's heart stents are made here in Galway. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so we're a real med, med, medical device hub. And But I've got four children and... If they go to university here, the stats are that 75% of our graduates leave and never come back to this town. So we wanted to, we wanted to create an environment that I had seen like um, at level 39 are without 39 stories, unfortunately, or 50 stories as that building is. But, uh, you know, I wanted to, we wanted to create an environment and there was a lot of thought by the um, by the Brookings Institute about downtown innovation districts and this clustering effect that having entrepreneurs meet together uh, with you know, small enterprises, larger enterprises bouncing off each other. People could help themselves, help each other out. And I know from running the Lean Startup Company that the people who would come to the Lean Startup events were often very large enterprises. I remember hosting Salesforce, uh, talking about how they innovated in, in San Francisco in 2016. And it would be large organizations meeting small organizations and seeing how they could really learn from each other. And I think there is an amazing thing that happens when you orchestrate random collisions between large organizations and smaller organizations. And I think it's environmental in the same way that I think that um, entrepreneurship is, entrep is, is environmental. Uh, you know, I, I worked in in uh, in healthcare in obesity and and they talk about obesity being environmental as well that you, if you're exposed to certain behaviors and that it they call it an obesogenic environment that you grew up in because you might be low income and need to need to buy the most affordable food and and uh, it's just a cycle that 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 happens but but it it's also in higher income families as well but i think i think most things are environmental and um, creating an environment where you can have these random collisions happening and orchestrating that people give to each other develops a sense of community which which creates this amazing flywheel effect. So we've had here in a small town, you know, the the bank uh, I, that were giving me 30,000 euros as it was to run this small startup hub. Since then, they've given us um, about 600,000 euros to do a much bigger vision. So what I, what I say to people trying to build communities is try and sell a bigger vision as soon as you can. Try and name something that's exciting and get some momentum around it uh, so that you create a bit of a buzz. And so we, we called it in, we called it Galway City Innovation District. And we our goal was to create 20,000 uh, high paid jobs in the city center of Galway, you know, rather than rather than uh, talk 
about a hub that holds 350 people, which which we 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 are now. But we 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 because we exist, different companies from America and Australia and around the world have located because they want to be around startups and they want to be around innovation and they want them to to build stuff for them. They want their people to, if the startup doesn't work out, to move to them. And it just all fosters innovation, getting that beautiful mix between larger and smaller organizations. And it creates a vibrancy and a buzz that is that is uh, that is really exciting. So I think uh, I think it's get if you can orchestrate a, a community of people who are in it for the right reasons, who want to see growth and prosperity. And I think for me, good quality jobs are the, um, are the creating those good quality jobs for people is, is one of the best things you can do for an economy. It sounds like completely obvious, you know, but, but it's like, we're a tourist town and creating more tourist jobs where the average wage is about 30,000 a year doesn't really move the needle for an entity to create um to create value we, you need those higher paid jobs and it can happen anywhere in where in the world but i do like the clustering effect that happens from little innovation districts but what we've seen is that you know this can happen and people have come to us since uh, to to learn about how we did this model and uh, um all around our country and 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 around europe and um, you know, we have created thousands of jobs as a result. Uh, we haven't created twenty thousand as yet, but we've we've definitely we've definitely moved in that right direction. But now with now with all of this life, where we've realised we can live online and we can we can deliver value from anywhere. Um, there's there's the 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 landscape has changed again. Uh, but I do think. There needs to be something that holds a community together, whether it's called an innovation hub or something. Structures are needed, you know, and I think, you know, coming from the yoga world, as I did, and when I taught yoga first at, at the Web Summit, I noticed this tech community. I'm like, whoa, this is a really cool community. And th these are people who support themselves. Our, you and I, we've never spoken until today, but we feel like we know each other because we've been going through this long journey over the last few years in the similar circles. And we see people with similar values and that kind of binds us together and you feel like you're not alone, even though you're remote, you feel like, oh, there's other people trying to do good while doing tech in financial services. And then that circle expands when they introduce you to others. So I think to me, it all comes back to community, whether it's you build an infrastructure that, that holds people in a downtown innovation district, or you create something online. Can you orchestrate something that gives people meaning and value and purpose? And that's, that's, if you do that, people are energized. It attracts more people. It, it sustains those who have to walk down hard roads. And it's, 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 it's not easy uh, to do hard, to do these hard things, but when you feel like you're not alone and you feel you're part of a community, that's that's powerful and that's very sustaining. I feel like I just had an organic chemistry class with random atoms colliding with each other, creating <laughs> energy. 
that was literally the visual I had in my head as you were talking about random collision and ideas and purpose and value. And it is very, very true. Regardless of where we are, regardless of where we sit, we need something to bind us together, something common in theme. And I'm very glad as much as social media might have shortcomings, I am glad that at least through it, especially the last two years, I've been able to find people like yourself. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. And uh, before we close, I want to ask you this. And this is an interesting thing. I just popped into my head and never asked anyone on the show. So you'll be the first. Okay. If you can put a few things in a time capsule, now the year is 2022. If someone were to open that time capsule in 2100, it's quite a few years, but close enough that your kids will see it. What would you put in that time capsule and why? Yeah, I mean, well, firstly, thank you for the, for the connection. It's it's certainly the same for me to I've got so much energy from meeting people online that that have that have sustained me and uh, and and given me given me energy and hope and uh, and and uh, that's been that's been great. So it's certainly it's certainly uh, <laughs> the same for me here. So thank you. Um, in terms of a time capsule, I was. Uh, let me think. Um, I, I'd say a yoga map, but that might be a little bit cliche or, or too big to put in this thing. Maybe something to sit on in stillness, like a, like a, like a bolster or something, or, or a little cushion, a meditation cushion, maybe. Um, I think that for all our I mean, everything seems to be trying to make us go faster, do more things, be more productive, be, you know, be the perfect mom, be the perfect dad, be in tune with everything that's going on and super productive. And and it's leading, I think, and, you know, it has us uh, racing to get our kids to school and then racing to work and then to pick up our kids afterwards and then open our laptop again and after they go to bed and it's like it's never ending and it's it's um, it's exhausting and I think if technology is only there to help us do more things faster it's you know what do we end up as, as people I think the, there's real there's real benefit to switching off everything and being still and i still teach uh, i still teach a um a couple of yoga classes a week now and it's just so nice to be away from my phone and to be engaging with people and um, it's back to in person now and it just gives me such energy and i do it on a sunday night and uh, it, it just gives me a load of energy for the rest of the week but the the idea where people where people if it's with a, a meditation cushion or if you know if you can get to get to community and and do this with with people and feel like you're not alone taking time out to do good for yourself i think having a having a meditation cushion for example if it gets you to sit still and just take the time to offer respect to yourself um it's incredibly valuable and i think that you know a few years ago we, we did a yoga in schools um 
we did a yoga in schools program. We taught 20,000 kids an eight-week yoga course. It was a not-for-profit thing that we did. And I remember doing yoga one time, and I was looking for some sort of hook to kind of brand it around. And there was a, a kid with Down syndrome doing yoga with the rest of the class as well, but probably better than the rest of the class because she was more focused. And she was doing Navasana, the bridge with the feet up in the air and hands forward. And uh, it's a difficult one, but she was like super focused. And behind her was this thing in Irish, which said, and this is probably a first for your podcast too, somebody speaking in Irish, it said, Mas erm fein, Mas erdiniela, Mas ermoin. And Mas is, means respect. And it mean, it was respect for yourself, respect for others and respect for things. And I think that that respect for yourself, for others and, and for things, it has to start with offering respect to yourself. So people will, will come along and they'll do a yoga class and they'll say namaste at the end and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's over or in this school this was their this was their motto but it wasn't lived let's say and we tried to bring it to life a little bit to say you know here's here's you taking time to offer respect to yourself and in the class we could we could do the fun stuff if we all had respect for each other by being safe and and not talking really loudly and we'd have respect for the yoga mat and the place that we were about and we we got to do the the fun stuff like the handstands or the are the are are that when we all worked together and it was actually really resonated with a lot of kids with kids in general and with us adults who who tend who have uh ADHD or I think most of us adults do you know and and we're constantly looking for looking for more stimulation all the time but just focusing on one thing with intention with the intention of doing good for yourself I think that's a powerful thing and if you can sit on a bolster or if you can sit anywhere and you can take a moment and realize that the intention that you're bringing is to do good for yourself um, and by doing good for yourself, then you can start to serve people in your family better. So you're really doing good for them as well, because you're you're less likely to be narky and challenged, and and you can do better in work and and elsewhere. So I, I think, I think if there was something like a meditation cushion that we could put in and say, there's value in stillness. There's value in not being hyper productive twenty four seven. There's value in not documenting everything, although it is good to share your story um, in, in general and good to connect with people. But there's good, there's goodness in stillness and in introversion uh, and in, in introspection, perhaps. And I think, I think if 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 the meditation cushion signal signified that, that would be no bad thing. And self-care, self-care, that's something that we don't do enough of mm. and taking care of ourselves, as you said, respecting that. I believe that hopefully in the new year that we are in 2022, we can do more of that because you are absolutely right. Until we take care of ourselves, until we take that time to do that, it is immensely difficult for us to even stop thinking about taking care of the others. I know I'm I'm really bad. I can totally feel it. I get agitated. I get like tired. Um, and it's not good for anyone around me. So thank you for that, Dave. This is this is absolutely delightful conversation. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, absolute My pleasure. It's a privilege to kind of uh 
to kind of talk about stuff that is, uh, yeah, this is a tech show and maybe a banking show, but it's not really. It's a, it's about people in the end, isn't it? And uh, maybe to go back into Yoga Dave mode, as people used to call me, rather than FinTech Dave or or something like that. It's, a, it's nice to have these conversations because, and thank you for creating a community where you can have these conversations because it's uh, it's important to, it's important and, and it's a privilege to have it. Thank you. It is important because at the end of the day, we're all humans, regardless of what we do and regardless of what hats we wear. So let's not forget that. So mm. thank you for the rest of you for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.